Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 412 with Todd Herman. This one's a whole lot of fun. We are talking about alter egos, how you can tap into a different character or role to become all the better in whatever situation that you're facing. So you'll learn one, why you should revisit your childhood superheroes and alter egos. Two, how enclosed cognition and Halloween teaches us lessons for being awesome at our jobs. And three, how to improve your visualization through all your senses. So you can find the transcript and show notes and links over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash app 412. Now here's Todd's story. Todd Herman is an award-winning author, performance advisor to athletes, leaders, and public figures, and a recipient of the Inc. 500 Fastest Growing Company Award. He's been featured on the Today Show, Sky Business News, Inc. Magazine, and CBC National News. He lives in New York with his young family. Big thanks to Todd for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Todd. Todd, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pistol Pete, it's a pleasure. Oh, I'm already getting an alter ego. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pete, I'm a farm kid who has a family that nobody ever calls each other by their first name. Everyone has a nickname, so why not kick it off that way? Well, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. And I want to hear a little bit more about some of your youth, in particular, you won the world's largest twister competition at age 16. Tell us all about this. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing that should highlight everyone's <laughs> resume, right? Like that's the one you want at the very top. Yeah, I was, uh, so when I was in high school, you know, I played high school football, captain of the team. And then I was, uh, you know, on student council as well. Kind of loved, like, I grew up in a family that was involved in, in politics. So uh, we hosted my small uh, city in medicine, Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada, we hosted this big uh, student council conference for uh, North America, in fact, well, Western United States and uh, in Canada. And uh, during one of the events, Medicine Hat is one of the one of its claim to fames is we have the world's largest teepee. We are rich in Native American history there. And they decided that they would host a huge twister competition uh, during this student council thing. And I didn't really know. I just showed up to this. I didn't know what it was really all about. And in the end, um, I won it all in process of elimination. They had, I don't know you know, 1800 mats or no, it wasn't even that many. It was maybe 1500 mats. Then it all whittled down until we finally had a champion. And, uh, I was it. Wow. 1500 mats. And is that four people or how many to a mat? 
there were six. Okay. Oh, that's pretty full. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Six or seven people to a mat, something like that. Yeah. Um, anyways. Yeah. And then I was, then they were like, well, the world's or the Guinness book of world records is here and you're gonna, you, you've now just broke the record. I'm like, fantastic. Oh. This, is, this is great. <laughs> okay, cool. So you're a Twister champion. We need to know what did you do differently? Or what was the secret to your victory in terms of how did you pull this off where others fell short? I am a highly competitive individual. And I actually, when I think back to that, um, probably knowing, n- not knowing that it was some big competition, I thought we were just out there playing. So I was, I was just, you know, engaged in the process. If I had thought that this is going to be like rounds of elimination, I probably would have maybe got a little bit too caught up in like winning, but it was definitely focusing on the process. I was already athletic. I was very, you know, I was flexible. So that helped. Um, I think strategic thinking, some people, you know, you got to be able to think ahead a few spots. Like you can't put yourself on a, put your hand on one area that's going to cause you to have to like twist in some sort of odd way to get your other hand and a circle that's way off on the other side. So, um, uh, yeah, probably a combination of a bunch of those things. Mm-hmm. Intriguing. So you were just engaged in the moment instead of fixated on the winning and that served you better. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, there's a lesson right there. Yeah, and it ended up serving me well, you know, for 22 years now working with different pro Olympic athletes, you know, entrepreneurs, achievers, you know, professionals on, you know, helping them to perform at their peak because, you know, as soon as you become outcome orientated, you've now pulled yourself out of the moment and the chances of you making mistakes go way up. Right. Yeah. Well, I also was curious about you. You've won the Global Leadership and Skill Development Program of the Year Award twice. First of all, who issues that? So there's a awards company called the Stevies, and it's kind of like the uh, they're the biggest awards company in the business space. So they give out tons of awards in very different cat a lot of different categories. And uh, I've had my performance system for put together in its current form for about 15 years. And in the last few years, we've won the Global Leadership Award twice. And then we won for the Global Leadership Training Team of the Year as well um, with it. So yeah, the Stevies is a is a great place to find really, really amazing people and companies and stuff doing good things. Well, that's cool. And well, I'd love to hear what are some of the keys to your victory there, I have a feeling one of them might be related to your book, but we want to hear the others too. Sure. Keys to victory? I don't know because they, they have a judging panel that doesn't really let you know that much, but we are pretty good at giving uh, our case studies of our clients, highlighting them. Uh, and then we do a um, disciplined job of putting our stuff through a lot of rigor. Like we have a, we have third party testing companies that come in and validate the results that we get with people. So, um, there's a company called the ROI Institute and they come into companies all the time, typically large companies. Um, we're probably one of the smaller businesses that they'd be working with, but because my, a lot of my history is in corporate, um, leadership development. Um, I, just took a look at the space that I was operating in. And I'm like, well, this is an open hole where a lot of these kind of people that are making promises don't actually have much validation. So let's bring mm-hmm. this in and, you know, as a point of differentiation. And um, yeah, so things like that, you know, judges, they like to see things like that. Absolutely. You have my respect because I, I am of like mind. If you don't have an ROI, it's hard to justify spending, you know, real time and money on the program, even if it is a good time. Well, I mean, 
part of our mission for our company as well is to to elevate the critical thinking skills of humanity. Okay. And so it doesn't sound like it's super sexy to people elevate the critical thinking skills. But when you think of the problems and most of the issues that people find themselves caught up in, it's because they're typically operating in and responding to it, circumstances or issues emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you take a look at the current state of the world uh, and maybe some of the leaders that are out there that are leading it, you know, they are not great purveyors of the idea of critical thinking. And so, I mean, I want to model that in the way that we do our business. And I think that just even for the listeners, I think that we're in a day and age now where there should be a lot more being demanded of the people who um, are there to help you get from point A to point B. This idea of anecdotal, hey, I did it and you can too, is, is in my opinion of a bygone era because there is no systemization in that. And that's one of my biggest issues with the personal development, self-help and leadership world is that there's just a lot of um, false, uh, profits standing on top of great marketing that, you know, I am, if I am, if I can be a part of a movement that takes a big swinging chisel and ax to that, then I'm happy to knock that down because I don't like to put myself out there as a personal brand or as someone who stands on top of, no, I've got a very specific skill set. I'm very, very good at what it is that I do, but I stay in my lane. Whereas a lot of people, like to overpromise that they can solve all of your issues. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I think it hurts more people and it leads them down and wastes time uh, on a path that is truly not going to get them to where they, where they need to go or want to go. Mm. Todd, we are kindred spirits. Yeah. I am inspired by your vision. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing and maybe we should co-found a company together. So <laughs> loving In it. the future. <laughs> loving it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about your book here, The Alter Ego Effect. I got such a kick out of checking this one out because I resonate in so many levels, but I'm going to give you the floor here. What's the big idea behind The Alter Ego Effect? Well, the big idea is that we all have used alter egos and, um, you know, we stepped into them when we were kids, when we would play with superheroes or our be our favorite, um, hockey player or basketball player when we were kids or when we were pretending to be firemen or cowboys or astronauts, we play with these ideas. We actually play with the idea of alter egos um, as, as children. And what we're doing when we're doing that is we're tapping into the really the great superpower that human beings have, which is our creative imagination. You know, we're the only ones on the planet that can create um, heavens from hell, hells from heaven, that we create narrative and amazing story in our own minds. And sometimes that narrative and story hurts more than it helps for many reasons. You know, trauma is one thing. Imposter syndrome is an insidious little, you know, force that the enemy likes to use to pull us into the um, what I call in the book, the trapped self. And um, and so really the, the big idea for people is that this is actually something that allows you to pull the most really authentic version of who you are and what you can do out onto whatever chosen field of play you're using it to activate on. And it's not strange. It's not weird. It's not being fake. It's not being inauthentic. Um, In fact, phenomenal leaders, both in sport, business, public figures have used it to accomplish amazing things and get out of their own way. And when you think about some of the biggest challenges, complaints that people have when they say like, why aren't you able to do the things that you want to do or you're not getting the results that you want to get, a large chunk of them 
are mental. It's mental blocks. It's resistance. And um, an alter ego was, it's what I'm known for with in pro sports, Olympic sport is building alter egos for athletes. And then, you know, that expanded out into working with a lot more entrepreneurs and executives and people in professional environments to do the same thing, to help them, you know, navigate that kind of internal resistance and move away from it. And, um, it's an extremely elegant, graceful, and, um, perseverant way of, uh, battling what can be resistance that stops many people. Mm, that's really fun. And I, I totally jive with what you're saying with regard to as a kid, I totally pretended to be a superhero. I still have a Superman costume made to my measurements. Fun fact. <laughs> that's amazing. I want one of those. I wear it, uh, I wear it on Halloween and uh, I wish I had more opportunities to wear it in normal times, but they just don't appear. Like yeah. there aren't superhero themed parties, at least in my world. Maybe I should get some more Comic-Con type friends. Pete, Pete, you need to dial that. You need to dial that up. That's the one great benefit of living in New York City. Every type of party is at our fingertips here. <laughs> but you just brought up something really interesting. And I think it's um, important for the listeners too, to just kind of to talk about this concept is you brought up Halloween. Mm -hmm. And when you think about Halloween, Halloween is my favorite night of the year. So I don't know if, you know, where people believe on the whole Myers-Briggs thing. Um, I think it's a good um, sentiment and it's not, it's not something that's going to solve all your problems. But when I took the Myers-Briggs, I am, when the person came back in from doing the analysis, she's like, well, I think we may need to revisit this test because you just broke the extroversion side of things. You're about <laughs> as far, you're about as far um, uh, to that scale as you could possibly get. So for me, Halloween was always like everyone else is finally invited to my party that I that I live like every <laughs> single day of the year. I've got zero um, qualms about approaching people and talking to people. Uh, my mind frame around that is I just fundamentally feel like everyone likes to have a new good friend. Uh, no one is out there saying, I don't need any good friends. Um, and so that that's why I have zero resistance to talking to anybody. I don't put anyone up on pedestals. I don't look down on everybody. I think everyone has a fascinating story to tell. And so all of those mindsets allow me to just operate in relationships very easily. And so then what happens on Halloween, people put on costumes. And the moment that they do, they start stepping outside of their normal, quote unquote, normal personality, and they start to don the maybe behavior of whoever it is that they are wearing. Now, this is an important part because this is actually something I talk about in the book. Halloween's a good example of a psychological phenomenon called enclosed cognition, hmm. which you know we were going to talk about at some point in time during our during our interview. But it, this is just kind of a a, a good segue into it. Enclosed cognition is this phenomenon that happens when human beings, we add meaning and story to the things that we wear and others wear. So when we see someone with a police uniform on, we start to automatically assume some things about that person, depending on whatever your personal experience is of that uniform. Some people, it could be very negative. Sometimes it just as a overall overarching idea, you know, policemen, okay, there could be, it's their disciplined or they're stern or they're like, whatever it might be. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we do that. However, what I like to do is because I'm someone who is, all, I don't want to, one of my issues again with that self-help personal development stuff is that People put out a lot of ideas that sound like they're going to work. They sound nice as well. They're very palatable. You know, it's almost like I look at a lot of the books that are out there 
And I'm like, it, it's cotton candy, it's popsicles, it's rainbows. It looks nice, but it ain't satisfying. It doesn't do the job. I'm a practitioner. I work with people one-on-one and have for over 20 years. So 16, over 16,000 hours now. When you're working with someone one-on-one, Pete, and I give you a strategy to go and implement, what happens? You come right back around next week and you tell me what? Todd, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so how I know um, the people that have got the chops and don't have the chops are that if you have never worked with people one-on-one on this, you don't have the chops. It's just, you don't, you can't, you don't have the chops because you have not been put under the white hot light of performance. You haven't been put under the white hot light of getting people results. And so I am working with existing phenomenon that naturally occur inside the brain. And this is just one of them. So I just want to find a way to leverage it. And alter ego helps to leverage this idea of enclosed cognition because what we do then, a study was done at the Kellogg School of Management. And what they did is they brought a bunch of students into a room. And I don't know if you've ever seen those word puzzles where you've got the uh, word of a color, but then it's colored differently than the word. Oh, right. Right. So it says green, but it's yellow. And then it, the, it's the word red, but it's done in orange. Mm-hmm. And what you need to do is actually say the word, which is quite difficult because the brain processes color faster than it does the word. And then uh, they, put, you know, they time you to see how quickly you can go through this, you know, grid of different words. So they bring in these students and they uh, get them to do that. And they're testing their um, ability for uh, to, to their attention, their accuracy, their detail, and how quickly they can get it done. Okay, and the mistakes that they make. Then those students uh, finish and they move them out of the room and they bring in a new group of students. And this time they uh, hand them a white coat to put on and they tell them it's a painter's coat. And so they put on the painter's coat and they do the exact same test. They leave and then they bring in another group of people. They hand them the exact same white coat, except this time they tell them that it's a lab coat or a doctor's coat. And then they do the test. Well, the difference in results between the painter's coat people and the people who were just in their plain clothes was nothing. Hmm. But the difference between the people who had the lab coat and the doctor's coat and everyone else was they did it in less than half the time. They showed higher degrees of uh, focus and concentration and they made uh, less than half the mistakes. Well, why is it? Because when they put on the white lab coat or doctor's coat, they enclosed themselves in the cognitive skill set of someone that is careful, methodical, detailed, because that's what we ascribe to those types of people. So why didn't it work with the people that had the painter's coat on? Because when you put on a painter's coat, you're enclosing yourself in the meaning the cognitive meaning of someone who's creative, who might be more expressive, that doesn't help you with that specific task. Then they flip the task and this time they give everybody a task of a creative task, a painting actually. And now the people with the lab coat, doctor's coat did the exact same as the plain clothes people, but the people with the uh, painter's coat on, they're more expressive, they do it, um, they finish the project and uh, get higher marks than the other people. So, This is a naturally occurring phenomenon. And when we're trying to help people, when I'm trying to make, get, help people make change happen, the silliest thing to do is to do what has been bandied about in the self-help personnel world for the longest time as the number one way that we should defeat resistance and win, which is just do it. Willpower. Willpower, they think, is just the massively 
powerful force that human beings can use to win at life. Here's what I can tell you. On the field of play, of performance, willpower is like a mouse staring down at a herd of rumbling elephants coming towards it. It's like the, it's the conscious versus the unconscious. The conscious is that rumbling herd of elephants and that conscious thinking of willpower and stuffing it out and all that is so much smaller in comparison. So what is our superpower that we have to defeat resistance that's bigger than, than that other force of rumbling elephants? Well, it's our creative imagination. That's what's there. And that psychological phenomenon of enclosed cognition is about, is about tapping into that a little bit by using an alter ego. It's like the back door to performance. We can actually gracefully move around that rumbling herd, let it go do its thing. And you know what? We're going to suspend our disbelief about what we think we can and cannot do for the moment. And we are going to step in and use the power of someone or something else to actually activate the qualities that we want to go show up on that field for us. Well, so fascinating and so many things to chase after. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I'm resonating from my own experience in terms of, boy, just pick the task. There's sort of an outfit that goes with it and I'm raring to go, whether that's, you know, hey, we're going to go for a long run or I guess I'm thinking about, you know, doing jobs around the house with tools. It's like, I want to put on my John Deere hat yeah, and some dirty jeans. yeah, And it's like, play some country music while I'm at it. You know, <laughs> it's like, I'm a central Illinois Midwestern boy yeah. who's not afraid of some hard work. And that's just what's going to happen here. Maybe buy a Ford truck while I'm at it. You know, that kind of picture is what I, I adopt in. I think it helps. This at least makes it more fun. <laughs> well, but at the end of the day, Pete, if it did nothing else but make it more fun, yeah. then who cares, right? Like, I mean, when we think about life and if, if, the, if, the, if the listener is being really honest about what life is like for the most part, I mean, there's a lot of mundane stuff that we all have to do. Um, and then there's a lot of challenging things that when you're an ambitious person or you're striving or you're trying to achieve things, there's just natural, um, obstacles that you come up against. But what if nothing else, if there's nothing else that people took away from this idea, which is by the way, 100% proven out every single human being that is listening to this has 100% used this. Why? Because it's a naturally occurring part of the human psyche that you just can't escape it. We, we all have played with ideas in our head and that wasn't you being weird, strange, multiple <laughs> personality disorder, nothing. That's literally built into our way to navigate the challenging parts of life with more grace. Now, if, but if you did nothing else and all of a sudden life was a little bit more playful, I mean, what, what a huge win, what a huge win that, that would give someone. Mm -hmm. to be that way. Like, I mean, to just whatever, if you, if you put on, you know, if all of a sudden you became farmer Pete for that, you know, 90 minutes that you're outside cutting the grass and you've got, you know, the straw in your mouth and you've got the John Deere hat on. And by the way, that's not a, um, stereotype by looking down on people because at the end of the day, I am a huge farm and ranch kid. Like, I mean, I grew up on a 10,000 plus acre farm and ranch. I mean, I've got more affinity towards that world than I do of any other world. But I mean, who cares if you go and you play that character? You're not being weird and you're not being unpeat like You're being the most Pete-like person you could be in that moment. Certainly, yeah, yeah. In Davenport, Illinois, there's plenty of that. So we've got some hard data, you know, from that Kellogg study. Uh, we've got it, some notions that it's sort of intrinsic to the human psychological experience. Could you maybe orient us to a pretty cool, you know, case study or transformation that illustrates this, you know, in practice? Like we got someone who's performing not as well as they want to. Yeah. They adopted an alter ego in this sort of a way and this sort of an alter ego. And then they 
kind of lived it out and experienced an enhanced result. Yeah, I'll go to probably the most fascinating one as an example of uh, one that always catches people off guard. And uh, it leads off the book, actually. And it's with Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson. And uh, Bo Jackson, for people who don't know, is one of the greatest athletes to ever walk the planet. He's the only athlete in the history of major sports to be an all star in uh, two of them the same year. And that's Major League Baseball and the National Football League. And I was down in Atlanta or down in Georgia doing a talk. And I was waiting in the green room, ready to go out. And into the green room walks Bo Jackson, this phenomenal physical specimen. And in my head, I'm like, Oh my God, that's the guy that I played on Nintendo when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he walked over to me right away and he said, hi, I'm Bo Jackson. I said, yeah, I know who you are. You won me a lot of games on Tecmo Bowl when I was a kid. And he laughed and he said, Oh, you're not the first one to say that. Um, are you speaking today? And I said, yeah, I'm going on stage next. And, uh, he said, Oh, what are you going to be talking about? And I said, well, I'm going to talk to him about like mental game, but specifically, I'm going to talk to the coaches and the players about uh, using alter egos to help really unlock their performance and um, show up on the field and actually find the v- zone and flow state with it because you're now getting out of your own way and you're activating this imagination, which helps you um, perform. And he just looked at me and he kind of got this weird look on his face like someone had just solved a mystery of life to him. And he cocked his head to the side and he was like, Bo Jackson never played a down of football his entire life. And I was like, interesting, tell me more. And he was like, yeah, when I was uh, a youngster, people who know my backstory, I was a really angry uh, kid and I would get myself into a lot of trouble. Um, And while it sounds like being angry would help you on the football field to dominate people, it would actually get me into, um, you know, bad penalties. I was a little bit uncoachable. And, and so one night I was watching a movie and I saw this character come on the screen who was cold, calculating, methodical, unemotional, all the things that I kind of wanted to be when I was out there. And I thought to myself, wait a second, why didn't I go out as that person instead of me? And it was Jason from Friday the 13th. So his alter ego was actually Jason. Uh, which sounds crazy to some people because why would you want to activate if you're already angry at someone who's a serial killer? But this is the power of this stuff is that it's what your great takeaway was based on, you know, what maybe your issue might be or what you're looking for. And he was looking for being more unemotional, more calculating with himself when he was performing. And that's what he did. So when he put on his football helmet, when he walked out onto the field, when his foot hit that field, that's where Jason lived and Jason would enter him. And he, he's, he unconsciously did almost every single step of the process that I talk about in the book perfectly. He created context because it wasn't Jason off the field. He was Jason on the field. He took the, the qualities that he most wanted that were the reverse of his frustrations. And that's what he found in his inspiration, which was Jason. Um, he, he actually leveraged an existing story, which is, you know, when you were looking for maybe places of inspiration, um, it's a lot easier to just use characters that have already been built, whether in um, movies or whether in comic books or whether in your favorite TV show or whether it's your favorite fictional book or existing people from your, um, your own personal life. I mean, the number of, if there's, if there is a quality of an alter ego that is most popular or a type, it's actually grandmothers. Hmm. Grandmothers for me 
is the most popular <laughs> alter ego that people use um, for you know whatever reason. And it, it there's just many grandmothers that are inspiring to many um, people that are, are are out there, and there's specific qualities about them that they're trying to activate. So, like their own grandmother. Yeah, their own grandmother. Okay. Yeah, hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. That's just an archetype. I've got a wealth manager here in New York, worth just more money than you know people would need, definitely. And that's what his is. I mean, he he's he's a hard charging person, and uh, could could be could naturally fall into a bullying type. But you know, when he started growing his company to be a lot larger and and really having to adopt way more of a leadership role. Um, as opposed to a trading role in his business, um, it was just grading on the business and he was turning over staff just way more and, and, and that costs your business mm-hmm. a lot. And so he, when, when I started working with him um, and we started talking about leadership qualities, you know, who he's seen them in the past, he started talking about his grandmother and he wasn't talking about his grandmother right off the bat. He, I just asked him a question. He started talking about her and, you know, uh, wasn't really in the context of being a, a phenomenal leader. And then he started saying other people in business that he was maybe inspired by. And, um, and I said to him, I don't think so. I, I think 100% the most important leader that's been around you is your grandmother. And, and we just unpack that more. And, and that's, you know, when he's going in to have, you know, performance meetings, or he needs to have leadership conversations or challenging conversations with people, um, that's who he stepped into was more his grandmother. And now he doesn't need to use that alter ego anymore because he actually became that person that he more wanted to be. That's cool. Oh, I'd love it if maybe we could take on an example. Yeah. And I imagine we'll have to fast track it because it probably takes a good while. So that's fine to push the fast forward button repeatedly. Let's say this is semi-true for me right now. Yeah. I find that I'm getting so many ideas, which is really fun and exciting and cool. You know, when I'm sitting down to work, that I'm digging it and I'm sort of chasing after them and exploring them. But then I look at what I had hoped to accomplish in a day and there's quite a mismatch. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. oh, I chased a lot of cool, interesting ideas, which may very well have some huge potential. But uh, now I'm in a little bit of an urgent hurry up mode because I didn't do what actually needed to be done on that particular day. Yeah. So if I want to have more focused and we said willpower was tricky, but you know that notion of, hey, here's the list, I'm going to crank through it. How can I uh, use the alter ego effect to make that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I am the poster child of that when I was starting out. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was starting out, getting to kind of one of my uses of the alter ego, I was uh, 21. I looked like I was 12. I um, was terribly insecure about how young I looked, who's going to believe me when I, I go up on stage to talk about these ideas. I know I don't have 19 degrees. I'm not 40 years old yet. Like I had all these ideas of like, you know, the age you need to be before you're taken seriously, how many different uh, years of um, uh, you've been, you know, using this or, you know, consulting on it or coaching on it before you're taken seriously. And it was just stopping me from getting out there. The reality was I was, I was very, very good at working with young athletes. I mean, that's where I was starting. I wasn't trying to go out and work with pro athletes off the bat. I was working with, you know, 11, 12, 13 year olds, 14 year olds, 15 year olds on it. And I, and I was really good. Uh, I was good at developing rapport quickly, developing trust, and then sharing um, all of the strategies that I had done to help me get a college scholarship, be nationally ranked badminton player, and and my and my real skill set was my mental game. 
And, um, but it was getting in my, it was, I was getting in my own way and I wasn't taking the action I needed to take. And I would, I would drift all over the place in my day. And I would fundamentally just avoid doing the things that were going to make me money, right? Which is mm-hmm. in business or in sales, those are typically, that's when the white hot light of, you know, performance is on you because now you're on the field and it's easy for people to see based on the results that you did 10 phone calls today, but nothing was brought in revenue wise or, or something. Um, and so it's, it's easy for your, uh, your self-esteem or your, um, your sense of self-concept to be beaten up in those moments. Um, and I wasn't taking the action. So, but I wanted, I was just, I was like, wait a second. I, I used this when I played football and when I went on the football field, I would go to this composite kind of alter ego of Geronimo, Walter Payton and Ronnie Lott. And I was like, why don't I, and my, the name I used was Geronimo for it. I was like, but Geronimo was a little bit too aggressive. It's not going to help me in business. And then I thought, but I really want to step into this kind of Superman version of myself in business. And that's when it clicked in my head. I'm like, wait a second. Superman puts on glasses to become the mild-mannered version of himself in, in Clark Kent. But I want to put on glasses and I want to become the Superman version of myself. And so that's what I did. I went out and I went to Lens Crafters in West Edmonton Mall where I was living at the time. And I bought a pair of non-prescription glasses so that I could activate this self that would be decisive that would be articulate and that would be confident. All the three things that I felt like I was lacking at the time um, in the way that I was showing up. And, um, and that was back when wearing glasses wasn't like cool or fashionable by any stretch of the imagination. The optometrist was like, you don't need glasses. You're 2015 vision. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, please just give me the glasses. And, um, and so I bought them and that's what I did. And I, would, and I would literally sit and I would practice putting those on and, you know, just like when he would take off those glasses as Superman, all of a sudden just the chest puffs out and he transforms. I was transforming into that, you know, other self. And when I was in that state, I was very deliberate and intentional about being very decisive, being very confident, um, being very articulate with the way that I was describing what I could do for people. Um, and the moment that I would start to fall out of it and become that other insecure self, I would take off those glasses immediately because the moment that you're in that kind of state of being your alter ego, you don't want to dishonor that idea by allowing that kind of, um, other, um, whether it's a weaker or a mild mannered or whatever self or scared or insecure or resistant self to show up, I'd take them off because I wanted to honor that idea. Um, it's a very powerful mindset to be in when you're doing that. And I talk about that with my athletes and just even people that are on here right now, it's very powerful to step into that mode. Like we, we have these phenomenal capabilities in our mind to do that. And so, you know, going then back to you, it's, it's that, um, you know, some of what you're talking about too could be just that there is a creative self that's inside of you that you're Mm -hmm. just, sometimes you're just hunting through and finding ideas to be inspired by for, to create the training programs that you want or, you know, to to write the things you want to write. Um, and so you're never, you, uh, you shouldn't beat yourself up with those things. But on those days when you did have certain, um, activities that you needed to take care of, you, you, those need to be siloed. And then there needs to be the, the most heroic version that you could bring to that to bit, to bring the best that you've got available into that moment. So you can smash it, um, and get the best result. And so whether, whether you think that's you right now, or you don't think it's you, what I do know is that you is inside of you because the imagination has that power. Um, 
So let's find a way of unlocking it. Well, yeah, that's good. And so what I was doing with those glasses was I was accidentally, because I didn't know what enclosed cognition back then, but I was enclosing those glasses in the cognitive state of being smart, articulate, and decisive. And I was leveraging the power of another story of using Superman to help make that happen too. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Well, as you kind of, you know, deconstructing that a little bit, it seems that we started with, you know, what was already meaningful to you with, uh, you know, Geronimo, Superman, et cetera. Yeah. And so what was already sort of striking a chord and being resonant in the ways that you wanted to be, as opposed to saying, well, technically, you know, this literary figure embodied these qualities perfectly. It's like, well, I've never read that book. So that's, you know, it's not helping me out here. And so yeah. the first thing that comes to mind for me in terms of if we're talking about no nonsense, taking care of business. Yeah. The first thing I think of is like the Shark Tank intro, because <laughs> I get such a kick out of how they all do the same pose where they like fold their arms over each other. It's like, that's, I guess, the no nonsense entrepreneur pose. And you'll find it in <laughs> The Profit and other like business shows. I think that's just, we've adopted that. And <laughs> yeah. So that's what comes to mind. But if that's what resonates with you, yeah. then that should be your takeaway. And yet I've seen other people who are not even close to being an arms crossed type individual um, that are very no nonsense and no, no nonsense here in New York City and or even not just here. But I mean, that's my context. because I live here and I work with some people that are here. But um, but I know more people that are no nonsense and they sit back in a very relaxed look. Actually, even Mark Cuban, when you see mm -hmm. him in his mannerisms, um, Jerry, he's actually quite relaxed and he sits back and sort of, but then when he starts to get excited, he starts to lean forward. His eyebrows go up a lot. His, I mean, you know, just as a, you know, person who lives in the world of the mental game stuff, um, you're, I'm always looking at body language with people. So, um, but if that's what it is for you, then, then hold on to that. And that's what you can step into. So when I go about doing this step into what exactly am I doing? I'm going to cross my arms. I'm going to imagine being no nonsense. What are my steps? All the steps are, cause we've kind of unpacked a bunch of them. First place we start is context. We're doing it for a field of play. And again, we've been talking about business and stuff, but this is 100% useful as a parent. Um, kids use it all the time anyway, but as a parent, sometimes you're working all day long. You've been, you've been operating as a certain self throughout the day. Then you go home and it's hard to switch that off. Using this stuff, it creates great context for you. So for me, when I go home, I don't want to be that articulate, decisive, and confident version of myself that challenges people all day long because that's what I need to do. That's not what my children want. They want fun, playful, get on the floor and play with them. Dad, that's gentle with them. And, you know, I can be tough as well, but I don't need to, that's so natural for me. I don't need to magnify that out. That's going to come out anyway. Um, and, uh, and so I caught myself with, especially my middle daughter, Sophie, where she was um, she can, she's got this great emotional bandwidth where she has fantastic highs. And then she's got these tantrums that can just go on for a very long time. And, um, and I was meeting that force of her tantrum with my force of, you know, parent dad telling her to stop and all that and they're getting nowhere. And I caught myself and I'm like, wait a second, this isn't, this isn't how you perform at a high level. And immediately I went to who would I be to get the best out of myself as a parent? And it was, took me about a split second ago, Mr. Rogers. Yes. Mr. Rogers, <laughs> undeniably, is a phenomenal human being around young children. And so that's who I stepped into. And the very next time she had this huge tantrum, 
I got down on one knee just like he would. I reached out. I grabbed her, bring, brought her in for a hug. Despite the fact that she didn't want to be hugged, she melted in eight seconds. Mm-hmm. Melted. She was done. That's all she wanted and needed. And then she was off running around doing her own thing. Meanwhile, I was still on the inside like angry and raged because, you know, noise and, and, and that screaming just drives me into a, um, you know, uh, an emotional state. But in that moment, though, I did act as my best self for her and the result transformed. So going back to you. So context matters. Second thing in that story, I, I unpacked my frustrations, right? So what's the way that you're showing up on whatever field that you've just chosen um, that aren't getting you the results that you want? Or how are you not showing up? Or what are the things that you're doing that is providing you this angst and this frustration? Okay, so then now that you've got that, now it's easy to go to the third step, which is, well, how do you more want to show up? And or who already shows up that way that you're inspired by? And it doesn't have to be in your work. It could be someone completely outside of it that you look at and you're like, oh, I'd like to be more like that person. Well, I want to be, I want, I want to show up more like Luke Skywalker or whoever it might be. And, and so, well, what are, what is it about their qualities that you're looking at that you like? Is it their demeanor? Is it their, um, how calm they are? Is it about how confident they are? Is it how, um, uh, charismatic that person is, w- whatever it is. And then it's okay. Now, is there a totem? This fourth step is what's this totem or artifact or talisman that you can use to help activate it so that we can leverage the power of enclosed cognition. So is it that you're going to put on some super Superman socks or Wonder Woman uh, bracelet? That's what one of my equestrian riders, she's um, a world-class dressage, uh, which is like um, to the lay person, it's like horse dance or, um, where they have to do very, very specific um, and calculating kind of moves in the arena. It's quite, a, it's very challenging. And, you know, she was someone who was kind of all over the place inside emotionally, which then gets reflected through a horse. I mean, that's, you talk about a difficult sport from a mental game perspective. Now, you're sitting on top of an animal that can detect any sort of emotional ambiguity that you might have. Um, I mean, that's why horses are used in therapy because they just have this phenomenal emotional bandwidth to, to, uh, to work with people. And so when I asked her, well, who would, who most resonates with you as to how you want to show up? And she didn't hesitate for a second. And it was Wonder Woman, not the current version. Cause this is actually years ago. Mm-hmm. It was the 1970s version of Wonder Woman. And so she went out, I encouraged her, okay, go out. Let's, let's, let's get, um, an artifact or a totem to use. She went out and she actually made a custom bracelet. And, um, and I told her, I said, when you do make sure that the clasp has a loud sound when you snap it shut. Nice. Because sound is a phenomenal trigger in the mind. Yeah. And so when that snap happens, that's when she clicks into her inner Wonder Woman to show up on that horse as her best self. Oh, I like what you said about sound. That's getting me thinking about like, get all your senses involved. Maybe there's a smell, maybe there's a texture. Absolutely. And I mean, that's why I don't know how many people that are listening or even yourself, Pete, you know, people use the term visualization a lot. And they say, you know, just visualize, you got to visualize your goals or people with vision are the ones who win or uh, like all these different things. The reality is as someone who's been teaching visualization for with people as a skill for a long time, it's actually quite hard to do. And that's why I get frustrated with the amateurs that are out there saying, well, you just got to visualize. And it's like, it's not that easy because just because we can do it and we do do it every single day doesn't mean that we can deliberately 
create movies in our mind easily. It's a learned skill. However, sound and like we want to be using as much of the senses as possible. So when you're, when I'm really teaching people about, you know, using imagery and visualization, it's about engaging all of the senses because sometimes, you know, there's a good portion of the population that are driven, um, auditorially. I am, I'm one of those people where I can build movies in my mind way easier when I start with sound than when I start with pictures. There's other people who are uh, engaged with smell of something um, or the touch of something. That's why this whole process and using a totem or an artifact is so powerful because just to your point, when, you, when you're touching something, when you're feeling something, when you're putting something on, when you've got something in your pocket, whatever the case is, it's there as a great environmental reminder of the intention of who it is that you're showing up um, as. And that's not being fake. That's not about, you know, being, doing it to deceive other people. because that's being fake. If you're doing something to deceive others or trick others, your intention is completely wrong. Right. This is about tapping into the internal power of you saying, I am being very intentional about who and what I'm showing up as so that I can get the best result for me or for others. You know, just like me, it's not me being fake just because I'm stepping into and leveraging Mr. Rogers in that moment. That's actually stepping into a very genuine part of me. Like gentleness, of course, is a quality of mine somewhere, mm -hmm. right? Because it's not like I learned all of those, that challenging self, you know, that, or I was born that way. I learned some of that stuff. Well, you know, Todd, I love the Mr. Rogers in particular because it shouldn't have occurred to me, but I was, you know, looking through your book. Within the last couple months, I noticed that in marriage, family life, I sort of brought more of my creative brainstorming, problem solvingness into conversations with my wife. And she was less interested in that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and wanted more kind of emotional stuff. And I just sort of like forgot. It's like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And it is like, I was just so interested in your problem and all of the potential options and solutions that I could offer. And so I actually purchased a red zip up Mr. Rogers sweater <laughs> to wear as a reminder of, you know, you know, he's got that song, It's a Good Feeling, you know, the feelings yeah. and um, to just slow down and listen and, and to talk about feelings. Yeah. And I was like, well, how did you feel about that? <laughs> because that's what she was wanting. Yeah. Well, and if you've watched his uh, documentary, oh, yeah. it's fascinating because literally about a third of it is dedicated to them talking about his alter ego. Mm -hmm. um, his wife talks about Daniel Tiger. And there's this great sequence in the, in the documentary when she says that Daniel was the more real version of Mr. Rogers because he, that's, that's who he really was. He was, you know, when you think about Daniel Tiger, he's this, um, you know, hand puppet that he used to talk about feelings and other things. And, um, during that sequence, Mr. Rogers, um, Fred says, you know, he's holding up the hand puppet now near, near his head. And he's saying, you know, the distance between what, which is his mouth to the hand puppet. It's like, this doesn't look like it's very far, right? but I can tell you it was very self efficacious for me. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same for me. The distance between the six inches in your ears and your mouth by what you want to say, but then you don't say it. 
nothing beats a person up more than when they get to the end of their day, their heads on the pillow and they're, they're unpacking their day and they're like, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I raise my hand? Why didn't I speak up? Why didn't I ask for the sale or the action? Why didn't I take the, why didn't I take that final shot at the end of the buzzer? That distance between the six inches in your, in your ears and the action that you want, the difference between thought and action is, is very, very short inside of ourselves but it can be a huge leap for many people to make. Well, what's the bridge that runs over that gap? It's emotion proven by science. Again, when you sever the ties inside of a human's brain from their rational thinking brain and the emotional brain, which is the decision side of the brain decision doesn't happen. Then it's been shown in Alzheimer's patients where they can think that they want to have a sandwich but they actually can't get up and take action on it because this, there is no emotional um, grease that helps them make that decision. Well, that emotional factor that helps you go from where you are now to where you, where you want to be is the creative imagination to go by to, and, and move around resistance. And an alter ego is just a great tool to help make that happen. And I mean, you know, I talk about it enough in the book, all the different science of how to do it. This, you know, the other people that have used it to actually get themselves out onto different fields of play and, and do amazing things. Mm. And like we kind of talked about earlier, it's a wonderfully playful way to help navigate life as well. Oh, that is so excellent. Awesome. Well, Todd, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about a couple of your favorite things? I mean, we've just unpacked so much of it and I just strongly urge people to, I just know that a lot of people are just that mental part, that mindset side of things is the thing that can be a big challenge for them, whether it's adopting new habits or, you know, changing behaviors and stepping into and using these tools that they used. I mean, they, that you've already used them in your past. Um, uh, you know, Pete, like we had 19 publishers interested in my book, which if you know about publishing <laughs> is an insane amount of publishers. Now that's not because of me actually. It's not because I have, you know, I'm Michelle Obama or something like that. I don't have a big platform like that, but it's about the idea because people would walk into those meetings and they would say things like, I feel like I've been doing this all my life. And I'm like, I know you have because it's a natural part of being a human being. So there's so many people who just saw so much relevance in the idea. And I think that if people raced out and, you know, sunk their teeth into it, they would you know, chew their way through the book very, very, very fast. Mm -hmm. Well, now could you share with us a favorite book? A favorite book of mine would be, um, I love From Darwin to Munger, which is all about mental models and how to think a lot more quickly without getting down into the weeds and details. And they kind of unpack Charlie Munger and his brilliant thinking for the way that he has adopted different thinking models um, in the way that he navigates life. It's an amazing book. Mm -hmm. And is there a particular nugget that you share with your clients or audience listeners or readers that really seems to connect and resonate and gets them quoting it back to you? In that book, <laughs> I don't share a specific thing other than the ability to um, what's called chunk up, which is the ability to kind of start to see things at 30,000 foot views so that you can um, think a lot more strategically and see the you know, what's actually happening down on the field, not get tied up so much in the details of stuff. Um, probably chunking up is one of the big things that people take away from it. Mm -hmm. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? 
I'd point them to, well, my home base on the interwebs would be toddherman.me and all my kind of social profiles are out there and I'm active on pretty much most of them. Uh, and then for the book, you know, they can also go to alteregoeffect.com to uh, see some videos um, and, you know, click on any one of the links to find the book in, you know, airport bookstores and bookstores all over the place. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, this is the easiest one. Don't make the mistake I did early on. Don't make the mistake of trying to do everything on your own. I wanted to be one of those people that climbed to the top of the mountain, planted the flag by myself and said, I did it. And it's slow and it's stupid. You're going to get a lot farther in life by bringing around and getting around fantastic allies and being great supporters of other people. And so um, I truly do think that business and life moves at the speed of relationships and so always be finding great relationships and developing them. Awesome. Todd, this has been a treat. Thanks so much. And keep on doing the good stuff you're doing. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate you. I had so much fun with this conversation and I have absolutely taken to bringing my blazer out into my office and putting it on when it's time to get serious, get down to business focus. Enough of this creative ideation, which has been fun and helpful. It's time to hunker down and execute some things right here and now as well as the Mr. Rogers sweater for more, you know, family, wife, kids, fun times. So it really does something. So it's for real, the enclosed cognition. I felt it. I encourage you to have some fun with it and behold the results that tapping into your imagination in that kind of a way does for you. Really cool, quick, easy, fun, actionable, just the kind of stuff I love to have on the show. So huge thanks to Todd. Hope you dug his tidbits. You can access the show notes, the transcript, the links, et cetera, over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F412. If you haven't already, I hope you push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Rob Jollis. He's talking about how to be more engaging, authentic, have more gravitas presence, how it's done. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.